Good morning and welcome to the Berean Post devotional podcast, where we take a deep dive into the scriptures to find new insights and practical application for our modern lives. I'm your host, Duane, and I'm absolutely thrilled to have you with us today. Each day we'll explore a different passage from the Bible, unpacking its meaning and exploring how it can guide our lives for today. So grab your Bible, your favorite drink, and get ready for an exciting journey of discovery. And if you want to stay up to date on all of our latest podcasts and blogs, be sure to check out brilliantpost.ca. Also, join our Facebook group where we call ourselves Bright Future Bible Freaks, and we have a lot of fun there together. But right now, we're going to get started and jump right into today's devotional. Good morning and welcome to another episode of the Berean Post devotional podcast. We have been going through the book of Colossians and for those of you that have been following along, we are now in Colossians chapter 2 verses 11 to 15 and this is part 2. I'm just going to go ahead and jump right in. Paul writes, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands By the putting off the body of the sins of flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forsaken having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of consequences that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, and and having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed the principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. In our previous post, we discussed the importance of circumcision, and what it symbolized for both the Jews and for New Testament believers. However, that conversation only covered a small portion of a larger topic, so we will continue exploring this theme in today's post. To aid new readers of the Bible, we'll break down the text into smaller pieces to clarify any unfamiliar words or concepts. Our prior post explained the significance of circumcision for the contemporary believer, And now we will delve into the meaning of baptism. I was was baptized three times. The first time was during childhood and I I didn't comprehend its significance. Um, I was probably eight years old and I was sprinkled. Um, The second time as a teen, I better understood what baptism represented. Nevertheless, it was only a few years later um, that I felt compelled I should say it was just a few years ago, rather, that I felt compelled to be baptized once more. I I underwent the ritual for the third time because my newly acquired understanding of baptism and its implications for being a Christian created a strong desire in me to do it again. And indeed, I do not offer this information uh, prescriptively. I'm just basically citing my own experience. Now, it may surprise the reader to know that baptism is not a practice that's exclusive to Christianity. Baptism is a ritual 
that's practiced in several religions besides Christianity, although the specific practices and beliefs differ significantly from Christian baptism. For example, Judaism practices Telava um, for purification, conversion, or initiation, and that's similar to Christian baptism, but with significant differences. Uh, the, the Islam's wudu is a pre-prayer cleansing ritual and not equivalent to Christian baptism, but it's not equivalent to uh, Christian baptism. And even in his in Hinduism, uh, the jala, the jala, sam, uh, how do you pronounce it? Sam adai is a water immersion ritual for spiritual purification. It's similar to Christian baptism, but again with distinct beliefs and practicing practices rather. But what does Christian baptism mean? Well, Paul in his writings explains that believers in Christ are baptized with him, symbolically buried with him, and then raised up from the dead just as Christ was resurrected. But what does that signify, and why is it significant? The essence of Christianity is not centered around self-improvement, but on the surrendering to God's transformative power. In other words, the message of Christianity is not what you should or could do, but rather what Christ has done. 2 Corinthians 5.17 explains that those in Christ become new creatures. Old ways are replaced with new ones, not just modified. The Apostle Paul uses baptism as a symbol of the believer's connection with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. This sacrament or ordinance, depending on your, your tradition, is not merely a representation of dying to one's former way of living, but rather a description of a spiritual reality. When one trusts in Christ, acknowledging that he paid the penalty for their sins by dying on the cross, they're set free from their debt and redeemed. So the gospel is solely not about atonement, but also about resurrection and redemption. By being buried with Christ in death and raised to new life in Him, believers receive the Holy Spirit's power to live according to God's will. Christianity can be offensive to some because it'll, it, it challenges human pride by asserting we cannot save ourselves from our own hostility towards God and that we must instead trust in the work of the cross. While other religions offer paths or rules to please God, Christianity maintains that we are spiritually dead in sin and require spiritual uh, require a spiritually resurrected life. This message goes against our natural tendency towards self-sufficiency, the inherent inclination inclination towards self-preservation, self-aggrandizement, self-love that characterizes humankind. It, it it embodies the concept of pride and emphasizes our complete it it, it, it it embodies the concept of pride and emphasizes our complete reliance on God's grace for salvation. The concept of humans having a sinful nature and being unable to please God through their own efforts is replete in both the Old and the New Testament. Romans 3.23 states, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this implies that without Christ, humans are separated from God and deserve death due to their sins. So get ready to feel the weight of this truth. Jesus died as a propitiation for the world's sins. You might be offended what propitiation means, but it means that Jesus died to make God happy. 
let that sink in for a moment. The death of Jesus Christ was an acceptable and pleasing sacrifice to appease God's righteous anger towards a world that had rebelled against him. Well, we don't have time to fully explore this topic. At the heart of the matter is that Jesus' death satisfied the justice of God and provided a way for us to be reconciled with him or to him. We are told that this in several places in the New Testament, most famously in 1 John 2.22, which states he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Or another well-known passage is Romans 5.8, which states, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul also writes about Jesus taking the place of every person and paying the debt for their sins. Romans 5.18-19 states, Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in the condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just, through the diso- just as the disobedience of one man, many were made sinners, so also the obedience of one man, many will be made righteous. Again, the final verse succinctly addresses a severe blow to our human pride and suggests that this by the disobedience of one man, Adam, who lived more than 5,000 years ago and is separated uh, and is separated from today's readers by, by that by that amount of time, the fact that he would be responsible for our hostility towards God and consequent condemnation, well this can be highly offensive. This implication may seem repugnant since it raises the question of why should we suffer the consequences or be affected by the person, uh, the, by the actions of a person who lived so long ago. But the gospel says the same thing about Christ, who lived 2,000 years ago, that many, not because of their actions, were made righteous because of the act of one man. The Christian faith, faith teaches that Jesus died to atone for the world's sins, satisfying God's justice and and making a way for us to be reconciled with him. And while this may be a challenging concept to accept, it lies at the heart of Christianity. The text of scripture that we are considering today is a stark reminder of our human frailty and our need for redemption through Christ. The act of baptism illustrates this transformation as it symbolizes the death and burial of our old selves represented by immersion in the water and the emergence of our new self symbolized by the rising out of the water into a new life in Christ. Thus, the message of Christianity is not merely about changing one's life, but about exchanging the exchange of our old life, rather, for a new one through the death and the resurrection of Christ. Our objective here is to present a clear um, interpretation of the text of Scripture without endorsing any method or denomination. I aim to provide a factual representation of the scripture without offering personal opinions or interpretations. I will explicitly identify opinions or interpretations and acknowledge when good Christians have different views, and I will strive to represent opposing views with dignity and respect wherever possible. Nevertheless, why different churches practice baptism differently is a complex and multifaceted issue that warrants a considerable discussion on its own. 
While various denominations may defend their chosen practice of baptism, the scripture does not provide any evidence of any other form of baptism other than total immersion. Notably, the New Testament is entirely silent on infant baptism, and all examples of Christian baptism referenced in the Bible pertain to adults. While specific passages suggest that whole households were saved and believed, there's no clear indications that infants were baptized among them, particularly given the mandate for believers to be baptized following their belief. Baptism is an essential sacrament, or as I said, ordinance, depending on your perspective, in the Christian faith, symbolizing a believer's connection with Jesus, Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. It represents a spiritual reality where believers are set free from their sins and empowered to live according to God's will through the Holy Spirit. The gospel message of Christianity challenged human pride by emphasizing our complete reliance on God's grace for salvation. The death of Jesus Christ provided a way for us to be reconciled and um, to God, satisfying his justice and making uh, propitiation for our sins. So baptism is a, and this text, baptism in general, is a powerful reminder of our need for redemption and the transformation of our lives through faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you for tuning in to this edition of the Brian Post Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed our discussion and it's brought you some encouragement and insight. Hey, if you want to stay up to date with all of our latest blogs, posts, and podcast episodes, be sure to visit brianpost.ca and subscribe. Don't forget to share our website with your friends who might need some inspiration or motivation. You can also join our community of bright future Bible freaks on Facebook. Until next time, may peace and blessings abound in your home.